Broadcasting around the world on international shortwave and on the Radio Disclosure Radio Network. I'm Matt Aaron, your host tonight. And folks, one of the things that people don't do often that drives me nuts, and that's looking up in the sky. They don't look up. They don't look for UFOs. That's something I do. Believe it or not, one of my pastime hobbies is sitting outside and looking for things in the sky. And tonight's guest, the title of his book is Look Up in the Sky, Aliens, UFOs, and Anomalies. Dr. John Stamey from North Carolina State, that's where his doctorate's from. He's going to talk to us about science involving this that at least that's that's my understanding of it he joins us now from north carolina how are you john man i am doing just great and really glad to be here tonight with you well i I, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself i know you do a podcast and it's on facebook and I, i it's called scary cast and that's true it's not just about scary things so forget just about being scary things and it's about all kinds of different things why don't you tell us about yourself and and then lead into this book a little bit about what this book's about aliens ufos and anomalies okay i would be glad to and thanks again um it all came from the fact that when i was 14 years old and lived in burke county north carolina uh before the internet and we didn't all have parents that would take us everywhere all the time. So what happened is we got to watch professional wrestling from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock every Saturday, and then we got to watch Shock Theater, those old Universal monster movies from 3 to 5. And then, of course, the next day at church, or in case someone didn't go to our church, that's back when everybody did go to church, uh, then we'd talk about it Monday morning, and that was exactly everything that we had to talk about on the weekends when it was cold. And so we got to where we really liked it. One of my big hobbies is wrestling, professional wrestling. I'm a wrestling announcer. I'm working on a uh, on a biography for the great Susan Green, arguably the greatest female wrestler in history, and she's still out there doing it at 68 years old. In fact, uh, just a little earlier this evening, I had dinner with her and interviewed her for another two hours. So wrestling is definitely a hobby of mine and something that I think – a lot of folks who like wrestling are into is the paranormal. And when I say paranormal, that's a very, very general term. I, I really kind of hate it because it, it's, it sounds like, well, something that's not real, but it, it just, to me, means things that accepted science. The uh, scientists at major universities who are absolutely paid for and on the take by the National Science Foundation, which I am very, which I believe is quite a specious and kind of not a good thing for people to do. They don't believe in anything like this, even though we've got a tremendous amount of information. So about a year and a half ago, I said, it's time for me to write some stories about, about what people call the paranormal. I've been in and around paranormal research for quite a long time. I got my doctorate at NC State. And while I was there for three years, I was also a research associate at the Ryan Institute of Parapsychology in Durham. And I met some fabulous people. I got to work with Dr. Sally Ryan Feather. I got to work with John Palmer, who's the editor of the Journal of Parapsychology, uh, John Cruz, uh, just some really fine people. I got to meet mediums. I got to see people do remote viewing. Now, first of all, Matt, do you know what remote viewing is? Because that's going to really figure into my talk tonight. Do you know much about remote viewing? I know enough about remote viewing to be dangerous, but for our for our listening audience, I think it's always a good opportunity to educate. Well, I do too. Being a former college professor, I just love. I guess I, I just like to talk. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about remote viewing. I was very fortunate to meet a fellow named Joe McMonigle. He was a lecturer and researcher up at the Monroe Institute, which is near Charlottesville, Virginia. And I found out that Joe, along with some other remote viewers like Ingo Swan, 
were involved in something called the Stargate Project. And the Stargate Project is basically where the CIA and the Stanford Research Center directed this out there in, uh, in California. They just said, all right, you psychic, look, o- look across enemy lines and tell us what you see. Well, they were successful. I talked to Joe. Uh, I didn't get to talk to Ingo because he had passed away, but I talked to several of the other remote viewers. They were fabulously successful. But when word got out that they were successful, of course, they had to shut the project down publicly. But they would just sit there, close their eyes, and think and jot down what they saw in their head. And that's what's called remote viewing. It takes a good bit of psychic awareness and the ability to calm yourself down, get rid of all of the influences and things that are going on around you, and really concentrate and focus. It's like being able to look over North Korea and see where a tank is or something like that 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 other people cannot do. And to this day, they're still doing Project Stargate. Uh, They they will tell you it's been shut down. That's That's the public's perception of it, but it's absolutely not. They use psychics all the time to see what's going on in other parts of the world, primarily in countries in which we're involved in uh, cold wars or that are just flat out our enemies, like North Korea and China. So anyway, that's what remote viewing is. And that figures in heavily the the topic we're going to talk about, which comes from the first chapter of my book, Aliens, UFOs, and Anomalies. Um, it, this is under the anomaly category, but I put it as the first chapter because it really provides a basis for what we're trying to do. Whenever I, I was taught at NC State, whatever you do, make sure your research is legitimate and whether it can be replicated or not, because sometimes psychic phenomena cannot be replicated, but it doesn't mean that it didn't happen that first time. I was always told, give the best explanation you can. Be very clear with what's going on and let the chips fall where they may. I'm fine with that. I enjoy talking about things like this. I enjoy talking about my UFO sighting. I enjoy talking about um, just all kinds of things. We're even going to talk about how all this turns into an answer for the Mandela effect. And that's something I'll define a little bit later. So uh, anyway, so we've got this book. It's got about 11 or 12 chapters. Has a lot of has some ghost stories in it. Um, I've got so, another book, uh, by the, the way. That the, the, is, the other thing John I was going to say is we're going to put a link on the website to the book, so that way, folks, if you want to go on and buy the book, you're more than welcome to. Um, this well, is this is this is folks. This is top notch material. So if if you if you don't have a copy of it, you need to go get a copy of it. Because again, it's top-notch material. It's it's not. This isn't low-hanging fruit. Go ahead, John. I, I'm sorry. I just okay. I wanted I wanted to wow. make sure that they that they were aware of that. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Um, it took a long time. It took six months for me to write. Six months is a is a lot of time for me to work on one single project. But anyway, uh, I want to start on this story. It, I think it's important, and this came from my research and from the folks that I was with at the Ryan Institute of Psychology. So um, it was a fall weekend in 2014, and there was a fundraiser for the Ryan Institute. It was at the Millennium Hotel um, on Campus Walk, which is in Durham, right near Duke University, and we raised some money for the, the, for the Ryan Institute, which is a, a wonderful thing. I believe they did really great research there. Um, Sally Ryan, whether I had left, I finished my doctorate and I was teaching. So I had it was an opportunity for me to see Sally Ryan Feather and her husband Bill. They're just great friends. I've stayed with them many times when I was up there in the Raleigh Durham area. Saved me a price of a hotel quite frequently. So anyway, we were enjoying breakfast with Bill and I'd always had on my bucket list how I would really like to have an opportunity to have coffee with Joe McMonagle. Uh, the great remote viewer, and Dr. Sally Ryan Feather. I had some questions that I wanted to ask both of them. Well, Bill said, you know, it's 1030. i got to go to church. I'm an usher, so I'm going to leave you too. And so Sally and I were sitting there talking, and lo and behold, 15 minutes later, here comes Joe McMonagall sitting down and completing one of my major bucket lists of my life. I, I said to myself, this is the greatest thing in the world. I've got 
two of the preeminent psychical researchers, and I can talk to them about, you know, business and what we call fun without worrying what people are nosing around about what we're talking about or anything. So yeah. it, was, it was really great. And so Joe asked me a few questions. We had met the night before. I had really hadn't met him until that uh, fundraiser. So he asked me a few questions about my research areas, and I, I told him several things and uh, enjoyed that. And he told me a lot about what he does at the Monroe Institute. He teaches classes on uh, remote use. And uh, so he told me about that and how I should, you know, come up there and join him sometime. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to do that. But anyway, um, I said, Joe, something happened last night. Um, we had a, a, at that event, and this is not in the book, but at that event, we had a psychic comedian. Now, Matt, do you know what a psychic comedian is? To me, it almost sounds like somebody who's telling bad jokes. Kind of. And they're probably not very psychic, but they know how to turn a question about a psychic event into a joke and make people laugh. So it, we were great. We're having a good time. And someone asked, and I can't remember what it was because it was in 2013. There was a fl Malaysian flight number, and I can't remember the flight number. It's advantage. Uh, does that vaguely ring a bell, Matt? Yes. It was a Malaysian? Yes. Uh, Okay, so great. And so all of a sudden, I turned and looked, and the next table down was, was I, I guess it was Joe McMonagle, and he was sitting there smiling at me. And all of a sudden, everything blacked out for me. And all I could see was a map of, South Viet, of, of, of the South Vietnamese Peninsula. I saw the Saigon River looking like a snake. And I saw a little spot in Laos or Cambodia. I can't remember which one it was, but I saw a little spot there. And all of a sudden I said, no, he didn't just show me where that flight was. Well, lo and behold, when they found it, that's exactly where it was. And that was about, I don't know, six, six seven years after the fact. And I was very impressed. And I thought to myself, what a vulgar display of psychical ability. So anyway, I was very glad to get to talk to him, and we chatted about some things. And he said, well, with you being a professor, John, there's some really neat things that you might be interested in. One is my friend, Dr. Ronald Bryan. Let's he hold it right there, and when we yes, come sir. back from this break, John, we're going to talk. Ron Bryan. We're going to pick it up at Dr. Ron Bryan. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Radio Disclosure. Welcome back to Radio Disclosure. Talking to Dr. John Stamey. The book is Look Up in the Sky. Aliens, UFOs, and Anomalies and Folks. That's something that people just don't do. He's talking about remote viewing right now. That's the You said that's the in the first chapter, I believe, and the, the you somebody just showed you where a downed aircraft was, and you guys were getting ready. Sitting at a banquet. I know. It was It was unbelievable, and I realized that must be Joe McMonagall. So anyway, at breakfast, I said, you're a professor. You do research. You need to check out the research of Dr. Ronald Bryan. He and I did an experiment um, oh, several years back, and he's got a paper. He's working on getting it published and everything. I said, well, that's great. And I said, well, just be sure to give me his name and everything, and I'll check it out. So, of course, we both forgot, or at least I forgot, and we said our goodbyes. We had a wonderful morning of coffee, bagels, and talking with Dr. Sally Ryan Feather, and, of course, with Joe McMonagall. And I was just really mad that I had not gotten the name of that researcher and the name of his paper. So anyway, the next day, it was, was Monday, and I was going about my business, and again, I was very upset. I couldn't get a hold of Sally Feather. She was busy or tied up or something. And then all of a sudden, the whole name and the name of the paper just came right into my head as if someone had written it into my brain. And so I went and looked up 
uh, Dr. Ronald Ryan. And sure enough, the second the second um, listing on Google was this paper. Um, so I said, wow, this is this is great. And then I said, thank you, Joe. I figured anybody that could shoot a picture into my head on Saturday night could probably shoot the name of a professor and a, and a research paper into my head on a Monday afternoon. So anyway, I got the paper. I read it. And I'm going to summarize it a little bit. What happened is Dr. Bryan was Professor Emeritus of uh, Nuclear and Particle Physics at Texas A&M University. Uh, tons and tons of research paper, decorated fella. He was just, just the bomb. I mean, he was, he was everybody's idea of a great, great professor and great, great researcher, very well respected. But he had started looking into things like paranormal research. And so what he did was he got a grant. He, he decided that he wanted to ask Joe McMonigle several questions that were of a highly technical nature. And, and Joe was very clear. You know, I, I believe Joe has a bachelor's in history. And he doesn't have much in terms of mathematics or anything like that. So Joe said, sure. Um, so he said, well, how do I do it? He said, write the question down. Put each question in an envelope. Seal the envelope with wax, the way they used to do back in the olden days. And then uh, bring them up here or send them to me, and I'll give them to my wife. Then after oh, some time, maybe a couple weeks or a month or two, I'll call you and let you know that I'm ready for you to see my answers. And Joe said, I mean, um, Dr. Bryan said, do you mean that you're not going to read the question? He said, no. You just write it and put it inside of an envelope. Huh. Okay, if that's what you want. So came time, and Joe called him up and said, "All right, Doctor Brian, I've got my answers." So Doctor Brian comes up there. He sees that those um, that the ink—I'm sorry—that the um, the wax had not been disturbed, and so he opened up the first one. The first one was, "Look deep inside an electron, and what do you see?" Joe gave the answer that he saw. Uh, four types of spins, one that corresponds with the x-axis, one that corresponds with the y-axis, one that corresponds with the z-axis, and one that, that corresponds with something else. He didn't know what it was. And it's very interesting. That's exactly what Dr. Bryan presumed when he wrote one of his papers and described a fourth uh, a fourth axis, uh, because normally we have high, you know up, down, and perspective or, or going forward and backwards. And then some people talk about time as being another, another dimension. So, but anyway, that's what, that's what, uh, Joe McMonagall saw. And Dr. Bryan was uh, impressed and he described it in a way that someone that did not know a lot of mathematics would describe it. Then, uh, then here comes the next, the next one in an envelope. Uh, Dr. Bryan had put a very small amount of a radioactive particle just that you could barely see. And Joe McMonagall described to him the actual shape of it and said it's radioactive. And what was interesting is the piece of radioactive element was so small that we really don't have any type of equipment that could look at that because, Matt, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but to look at things that are extremely, extremely tiny it takes a lot of energy to fire up those those large microscopes, and the energy that would be required to fire them up would be more than it would take to actually destroy what they were looking for. So Joe was able to look at something so small that um, he could see it and he could describe it, even though we really can't see it. That, that's That's pretty impressive. It really is. The final question was, describe a waveform. Well, a waveform, you know, we know what a wave is, but a waveform is really, it's an idea expressed mathematically. And Joe McMonagall was able to describe something like that. He said it's something you can describe but really doesn't exist, but yeah. it's there. And so he, 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 got, he just nailed it right on the head. So that was, that was just you know, really, really an impressive thing for him to do. So now, uh, Dr. Ron Bryan put Joe to a very meaningful task. In um, October of 1991, there was a radio telescope over the area of Dugway Flats in uh, 
in Utah. It was called the Fly's Eye Detector, and it was part of uh, Utah State's project. And they noticed, they recorded a particle that moved faster, actually six times faster than the speed of light. They actually recorded it. And nobody could make heads or tails of it because, obviously, nothing in our world is supposed to be able to go fa as fast or faster than the speed of light. So he asked Job, McMonagall, he said, oh, well, what is this? He said, well, what it is is it's a teardrop-shaped piece of energy, piece of energy. That's what he called it. And he said it came from a supernova in a much higher dimension than ours. And Dr. Bryan, that agreed with some of his hypothesis that it had to be from a higher dimension. Now, what he did was he then, Dr. Dr. Bryan then came up with a model, and this is where it starts getting back to what we can do in, you know, living on Earth. He has a model of the universe where we are in what's called M4, you know, X, Y, Z, and time moving forward, uh, not backward. So he has us there, and above us are clusters of areas that have higher dimensions than ours. They may have, they may be M5, M6, M1 billion. And then the other way, there are areas that have fewer dimensions. Now, we, we have basically think about three, the X, Y, and Z. Then we think of a plane, and that's the X, Y coordinates. Then we think of a line, and the line is, of course, we've got one dimension. And then there's a point, and it has zero dimensions. That would be M0. Well, what this also says is there are, and we really can't conceive of them, there are areas that have less than zero dimension, what we would call zero dimension. That's about what we can make of it. So that's what, that's what he came up with. Now, where we are, we're right in the middle, all kind of fat, done, and happy in our M4. But yet what he has realized is that if you think about a universe or a dimension that's right here, and maybe to the left of it is one just like ours, but it's a little different. And then to the left of it is one just like ours, which but a little more diff different. And the same thing. So we've got all these parallel dimensions that are um, or parallel universes, and they're out there, and we can theoretically slide back and forth between them. It's a little bit of a slippery game, but we can slide back and forth to them. Now, where does that come into from something that we know? Have you ever heard of the Mandela effect? I have not. Matt, you have not. The Mandela effect comes when, okay, you and I have both grown up in maybe the same universe, but you and I can have different memories growing up all, all along. Like the first thing that people remembered is Oscar Meyer. There are two ways to spell Oscar, O-S, I mean Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R, and then M-E-Y-A-R. And, and there, there are actually several ways, and people remember it being spelled differently. Some people remember it being spelled differently than what it is today. Then there's the Berenstein Bears, which was a kid's book. And then now, a lot of people see it spe spelled Berenstain Bears. Huh. Now I'm going to tell you something that really frightened me. And this is a, a, a true story. Uh, I remember I had a great dad. And when I was about five years old, I had just gotten my first watch, and I had learned to tell time. So it was the middle of the summer. And he said, all right, son, I want to show you something. I said, okay. So it was, it was pretty late in the day. And the sun was going down. And the sun had just gone down. I lived in Morganton, North Carolina, which is in Burke County, up in the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, he said, all right, son, what time is it? I said, it's 9.55. He said, did the sun just go down? I said, yes, sir, it did. Uh, he said, okay, just remember that. And we'll come back out here later, and I'll show you something different. So I completely forgot everything. And so on December the 23rd, my dad came home at 4 o'clock. 
And I was very concerned because, you know, he never came home. I was wondering if he was sick or something. He said, all right, son, get your coat on and come outside with me. We've got to do something again. I said, well, sure. So he took me outside to the same spot where we watched the sun go down at about 9.50 to 9.55 during the summer. He said, well, where's the sun? I said, it's almost down and going under the horizon. I didn't know how else to, to put it. I was you know, six years old. He said, yeah. He said, now, what time is it? I said, it's 4.20. He said, now, what happened in the in the, in the summertime? I said, it was almost five, six hours different that it was going down. He said, that's what happens is because during the winter, days are shorter. And during the summer, days are longer. I remember giving him a hug. I said, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Hmm. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty good dad, isn't it, Matt? Oh, yeah. So when we come back, so when we come back from the break, where, where do you want to pick it up from here? From the sun going down. All right. Sun going down. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Radio Disclosure. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Radio Disclosure. Dr. John Stamey is our guest. And if you want his book, you need to go out and get it. It's on our website. The book is called Look Up in the Sky, Aliens, UFOs, and Anomalies. We were discussing his dad just got done telling him about how the days and days in the time frame of those days are different from the summer and the winter. And that's uh, right. I, it was great. It, it was just a wonderful experience. So, I had left teaching. This was about Oh, probably seven years ago, I had left teaching, and I was at that point selling life insurance. I really enjoyed it. I got to meet tons and tons of people. I got to travel and all this. So I was I was out selling life insurance, and it was about eight o'clock at night, and I had uh, some folks I still wanted to call on. Um, first of all, there was a lady whose insurance premium had bounced, and I wanted to go by and see her and see if maybe she could go ahead and make the payment and keep her life insurance on track. And then I had a lead for another lady who lived fairly near her. And I said, well, you know what? I mean, it stays light until forever. Uh, It's only 8 o'clock. I can go by and see Miss Linda, try to get that taken care of, and then I'll have plenty of time to knock on this other lady's door. I mean, I don't mind knocking on someone's door if it's it's daylight. I mean, do, do you, Matt? I think that's fine. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I got, I went in and I saw Miss Linda. She said, yeah, I know I messed up. She said, and she gave me her $35. I said, okay, I'll get it applied. I'll write you a, c- a receipt. You're good to go. She said, wonderful. So I went outside. It was about 8.20. And I looked around. The sun was setting. I said, this can't be right. How is the sun setting at 8.20? I said, Oh, it must be daylight savings time. Hmm. That's what it is. So I proceeded to go ahead and see that lady, although it was getting kind of dark. And she told me to come back the next day because she didn't like folks coming by to see her when it was getting so dark. And that weighed on my mind heavily, heavily, too. So anyway, I went home, sat there, fixed me a drink, and I was thinking, okay, well, how does this daylight savings time work? I said, you spring forward and you fall back. So 8.20 must be about 9.20 regular old Eastern time. So I got out a piece of paper, try to draw it out. And I said, you spring forward. So at 8.20, and I said, now, wait a second. If you spring forward, that would be 7.20. And I said, now, surely this is not right. Surely the sun is not off by two hours. I mean, if the sun was off by two hours, that would be the major story on every news channel in the world. So what I did was I I called up my aunt. My aunt was 87 years old at the time, or 86. Yeah, she was 86. And I said, hey there. She said, hey, what you calling me about? I said, well, 
Let me ask you something. When you were a kid, during the summer, it stayed light for a long, long time. She said, oh, yeah, we used to be out at 9 or 9.30, and the sun was still up. I said, really? She said, oh, yeah. She said, well, what do you want to talk to me about? I said, nothing. I just wanted to talk to you, see how you were doing. So um, I got my first confirmation that something was not right. Um, and I diagrammed it carefully, and I realized that has had there been no daylight savings time at 7.20, then we would have sprung forward, so it would have been 8.20, just like it was, and the sun was down, or it was almost almost down. And that scared me a little bit. I didn't know what that was. But I said, well, whatever. And so I started doing some research and reading uh, online, and I came across something on Reddit. Matt, do you go to Reddit occasionally? Oh, gosh, yes. I think everybody does. It's it's a pretty good site. It really is. And I read about something called the Mandela Effect, but I sure didn't see any examples like what I was talking about. And then I read the story of the Mandela Effect. Do you know the story? It, it's a really neat one. Can I share it with you? Most definitely. The, the 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 thing that's interesting before you go there that I was sitting here back and I was thinking about all of this is in quantum physics, you have the thing called the double slit experiment, which the act right. of observation changes the outcome of the experiment. For, for those of you that are not familiar with the double slit experiment, I am telling you, it is the most mind-hurting, mind-boggling experiment that's ever been done as far as modern day science goes and the more that you study this the the worse your head hurts i mean it's it's mind-boggling and i always have this theory that we are constantly shifting in and out and in and out of these different realities based upon what God, the center of the universe that God has created, makes the decision of where you get moved into, almost kind of like a slideshow. That's my. That's the way that I try to describe what I've seen in in quantum physics. And to me, it almost sounds like what you're getting ready to say next, completely, 100%, falls right in line with that science. Well, it, it actually does. This first story is truly the, the defining story of the Mandela effect named for Nelson Mandela. Back in 2010, back when it was safe to get a roommate offline, there was something, and still is something, a wonderful Comic-Con called Dragon Con down in Atlanta. It's gigantic, and people would... Uh, you know, that they, they would be on Craigslist. They would say, I'm going to Dragon Con, need a roommate. And it, and it was fairly safe to do that. So these two girls were rooming together. And one of them was talking about Nelson Mandela. And her roommate said, well, now, he died in, like, the mid-1900s. I mean, I saw his funeral on television. And she said, well, in 1993, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. And he didn't die until 2013 because that's when I saw his funeral on television. They got into an argument. They went online and they found out that, yes, indeed, he had died in 2013, won the Nobel Prize in 1993. And the girl who thought he had died, she said, listen, I remember the funeral. His wife gave the eulogy. He'd been in prison for 10 years, and they didn't let him come out to see anybody. And I remember the wonderful remarks that she made. And they realized that something was wrong because they they were both standing there at the same time at the same place. But they had had different experiences in life that got them to that exact moment. Now, believe it or not, that is part of Einstein's theory of relativity. 
Uh, Matt, you and I could start, okay, today. And uh, we could we could meet. We've never met before. We could go meet. We could have a cup of coffee. We could hang out for a day. And then in 10 years, we could meet up. And we could meet up at the same place. We could have a cup of coffee at a different location. But our experiences between now, the first time we met, and the fact that we had no communication until we met again in 10 years could be different. And Einstein says, well, simply, they can be different. There's no rule that says that we all have to have the same exact set of rules and circumstances that get us from one point to another. I was reading now, here I, online about this Mandela effect, which is, this is really interesting, the the Statue of Liberty example, where the top section of the Statue of Liberty has been closed, and some people remember it being open. And there's pictures of people that have been in it that have been found online. I'm looking at one right now where they've taken pictures from it. And then, but it's been closed. How is that possible? My parents went to, they had their honeymoon in New York City. And they went into, the, they went up to the top and went into the, uh, they went into the uh, porch of the Statue of Liberty. They loved it. That was their favorite thing about New York City. And you're saying that some people say it has never been open? That's been closed for like 40 years, like 20 years after it was first. I'm just reading through and just skimming this article. This is, this is, this is fascinating because it brings more, more light into the double slit experiment and the act of observation. And us as right. these, these beings being able to make these effects it, Wow, this is John. This okay. is this is this is well, amazing. Well, it gets scarier. Let me ask you a geography question, okay? Oh dear God, that that could be a no, bad. No, idea. no, this is an easy one. Okay, you're familiar with North America, right? I hope so. You're familiar with South America. I hope so. Tell me if you look. At a globe, is South America directly under North America? Is it to the left of North America, or is it to the right of North America? Don't look at any maps. Tell me from memory, which one is it? I would almost have to say it's right down the center because of... You well, know. buddy, hold on. It sure was when I grew up because I drew pictures of it. It's not. South America is, are you ready? Sure. East of Florida. That's impossible. That, <laughs> it was not that way when I grew up. And I'll tell you how I can prove it. You know the game um, Risk? Yes. If you look at the cover of the game of Risk, South America is drawn directly under North America. That's the way it was when I grew up. So now it's east of, of of Miami. I mean, that's unbelievable, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's. I uh, yeah. Okay. Well, John, we're going to come back from this break, and I've got a feeling that you're going to wreck my brain as we come back. Judging by the rest of the notes that was put here in front of me. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Radio Disclosure. Hit up the website, radiodisclosure.com. The book is Look Up in the Sky, Aliens, UFOs, and Anomalies. You're not going to be disappointed if you order it. We're only talking about the first chapter right now. (laughs) Jeez. This is Radio Disclosure. Welcome back to Radio Disclosure. Perspective, what is it? How we view things. The Mandela Effect. Dr. John Stamey studied 
remote viewing, all kinds of amazing things. He's our guest tonight, and I hear more mind-blowing things are about ready to be revealed to us. That's right. I've got two things that will blow everyone's mind, and then they'll go turn off the radio and sit and have a drink. That's exactly what's going to happen. Are you ready? Go for okay. it. Okay. I had a buddy. I have a buddy named Lee, and he got a bachelor's and master's in transportation logistics from East Carolina University, a very fine school. And he learned a lot of things uh, that pertained to the shipping industry. And then I had this idea because I hadn't checked it out. Are you familiar with the Panama Canal? Very, very slightly. I studied it in school. I know it's, if I, if I remember right, I'm going through this in my head. It's it's in a deep filing cabinet. Panama Canal connects. Is it? Um, <clears throat> it connects the Great Lakes with the ocean. Well, not quite. I'll tell you what it does. It keeps ships from having to go around the bottom of South America to get back up you know if if a ship wants to go from havana cuba to los angeles they go through the panama canal it's in panama gotcha. when i studied it and learned about it the panama canal connected the atlantic ocean with the pacific ocean okay and so it was an east west kind of thing gotcha. well in today's map of the earth it's a north-south thing, and it connects the Caribbean Sea, the Pacific Ocean, north-south, which means the country of Panama is east-west huh. in orientation. It used to be when I was growing up, Panama had a north-south orientation, and the, and the, and the canal was east-west, directly from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. And I called up Lee because he, he, he's in management now. He doesn't mess around with that. I said, Lee, real quick, tell me about the Panama Canal. What does it connect? It connects the Atlantic to the Pacific. John, come on. I said, what's its orientation? He said, its orientation is east-west. I said, go look at a map. He said, no. <laughs> he said, no. I said, that's all I got to say. Have a nice evening. <laughs> Scared the heck out of him. Okay. So now... It gets better. So what we're looking at is there are parallel universes, and sometimes we slip and slide uh, from one to the other. And each universe is different. So most of it's alike, but some, some things are different. I mean, the geography of this Earth that a lot of us are living in is different than the geography from those that other people lived in. I asked my aunt. Remember, I said, when did the sun go down? She said 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, not 8.23 in the in the evening, the way it does now, I mean, that's frightening. But anyway, what more can you say? All right, so we've got all these parallel universes. Research has been done about them. Are you ready? Most definitely. There's an attorney in British Columbia. His name is Andy Baziaga. I, I can get through to a lot of people because all I have to use is the, the card, the Ryan Research Institute. I was a research associate there. I know Sally Ryan Feather, that gets me in a lot of places. It's the truth. So anyway, I was talking with him. He had been on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, and he had talked about Project Pegasus. Project Pegasus, he claims, is a time travel project based on Tesla's technology, and they could actually send people back into time. Well, it's very interesting. He said that they picked children you know, 6, 8, 10, 12 years old, because it wasn't as taxing on them as it was on adults. And he said, the thing that everybody in that government project, that super secret government project, wanted to know was who shot Lincoln. I said, that's kind of a ancient question. He said, I know, that's what I thought. That's all they wanted to know was who shot Lincoln. I said, well, who shot Lincoln? <laughs> he said, well, I'll tell you. He said, they sent about 70 of us back. They sent me back multiple times. Let me get my sheet of paper here because I wrote this down so I would get it exactly right for you. He said 
that 70% of the time, John Wilkes Booth shot Lincoln. 20% of the time, Mary Todd Lincoln shot Abraham Lincoln. And 10% of the time, somebody else shot Lincoln, and they didn't recognize who it was. Now, you have never heard an answer to a question like that phrased that way, have you? Nope. Which means what they did was they found out that they were sending kids back and they were going into different universes. There were marital problems between Abraham Lincoln and Mary Todd Lincoln that they don't talk about. In fact, I can't find, uh, I, I used to know about it because I read about him in an encyclopedia, but you can't find it anymore. You can't find it because right now we're, we're living in the universe where uh, John Wilkes Booth shot Lincoln. But there are universes where Mary Todd Lincoln shot her husband, and then there are universes where someone else shot him. So there you go. I've, and that tells me that he was reporting the results of an experiment. That's how you report the results of an experiment. You say 70% this, 20% this, and 10% this. Never in my life have I ever heard a report like that, and I knew he was telling the truth. And as a guy with a doctorate who has had research hammered into his head, that is how you report data. So what's interesting, what's interesting to me is the more that I can intertwine all of these different thoughts, science, all of these different things. The double slit experiment is the prime example of that. The act of observation changes the outcome of the of the experiment, as you observe. Well, I'll say that I think there's a little more to it than that. If you start looking at results reported like that, well, let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you a personal question. I've enjoyed this, and you, I've got you thinking, why don't we do a little more work and see if we can't modify the way the double slit experiment is phrased and reported on based on this particular report. In other words, would you like to do a little bit more research with me and we'll come back on another time and give it, give the result? Yeah, it, it, what, what's interesting is, is the more you say that, I believe all things work the same, be it them big, small, and sometimes larger machines the function of the larger machine cannot be seen without seeing the smaller parts of the machine. And when you see the smaller parts of the machine work, they work much like the larger parts of the machine. You, you just, you just don't realize it or see it. I, I think that's a very good analogy with what we're discussing. But yes, I think, I think that's something that would be very, very interesting to come back and revisit. Well, I think it would be a great first chapter in uh, Look Up in the Sky, Aliens, UFOs, and Anomalies Part 2. I did, most definitely. Because the science of the double slit experiment has driven scientists just crazy. Because the mathematics of it, you start talking about mathematics of waveforms and wave potentials, the mathematics are, you know, it goes through each slit, it goes through the left slit, it goes through the right slit, it goes through both slits at once, it doesn't go through any slit. It goes through one slit and interferes with itself. It goes through the other slit and interferes with itself. It only goes, I mean, by the time you're done, just those two options all by themselves is so astronomical just thinking about it. But, okay, let's take something more complex like your shooting instance. That's the part that starts to make me sit back and think, wow, this is not just, there's more science behind that. That That's, to me, that's that's the amazing part. So, so well, John, you, know, you know the fact that 100 years ago, if I had told you that for $25, you could buy a little tiny box and you could talk in real time to China. If I told you that 100 years ago, you'd have told me I was crazy. Today, we all have a cell phone. The, uh, the witchcraft and the weird things that we hypothesize today are the normal in 100 years. And that's the way it is. We just 
aren't there yet. We don't have the technology or have not been or have had the technology taken from us. I mean, right now, I can't call Andy Bajiaga. I have had other people call his law office and they can get through. And I call and it and I can't get through. I am prevented from talking to that guy. It's very interesting. I can't, I can't discuss this anymore with him. So I wonder why. So, John, the, the other parts of the book, and just briefly, for the for the people that are interested, you start with anomalies because that can explain aliens, it can explain UFOs. That's the interesting part because as we are jumping through these different realities and different things, I'm going to call them things because I'm a simple-minded man, um, Am I am I kind of getting the idea here? Am, am I following this correctly? Well, it gets a little more pedestrian in a way. Um, I've had a lot of experiences, and many of them are chronicled in this book, from UFO experiences to meeting aliens. I had a uh, – the Mothman actually saved my life. I had gone to sleep at the wheel. The Mothman woke me up, and I saw the thing. It was absolutely terrifying. Oh, my gosh. Um and then uh, there's a talk about uh, living in the blue universe. So there's a story about the blue people. A buddy of mine told me this story. Turns out there's lots of blue people stories. We're writing a book right now on it. So it's got a lot of stories, a lot of experiential stories. And then the final chapter, uh, is look up in the sky, and it shows that there's, there's tons and tons of sightings all over the world. And we've gotten to where we are desensitized from them. So there you go. I hope people enjoy it. I hope they'll buy a copy. I hope that my email is jwstamey, S-T-A-M-E-Y, at gmail.com. Shoot me an email. I'm glad to answer questions, talk to you through email. And also, as we say in the South, y'all come to ScaryCast on Monday nights at 9 p.m. on uh, on Facebook. Please do. Most definitely. And, folks, listen, we're going to put some links up on the website so that way you can find john stuff there and it's my understanding in a couple weeks we're going to have him back with some more exciting news and that's all i'm allowed to say ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining us tonight it's always a good show when you have aliens ufos and anomalies get the book like to say thank you for WTWW for running us globally. And if you're listening on the Radio Disclosure Radio Network, thanks to the local stations as well. I'm Matt Aaron. Have a good night.